Praise God. Well, do you have a Bible tonight? Yes, good. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a screen. And uh, next time, bring a Bible. If you don't have one, we'll get you one. And, uh, or you can go and pick one out. That's even more fun. Pick one out for yourself. And uh, just pick one that's just right for you. Now, when you do pick one that's just right for you, I don't mean just, I don't mean pick a Bible that just, you know, talks like you talk. Because there's something cool, and, and, and I'm not reading out of an old English Bible either. You know, I don't believe there's anything holy about old English any more than new English. You know, English wasn't around when the Bible was written. So, But I do believe in, in getting a Bible that accurately represents what, the, what God is saying and accurately translate what God is saying. It's okay to have different translations. It's okay to even have a fun translation that's kind of wacky. But as long as you know that, uh, as long as you've got something to go back and say, what does it really say? I mean, it's nice to sometimes shine light on different things. And we've got paraphrases. I use paraphrases every now and then. It's all right. Uh, but come back to the Word and say, if you don't understand something, and it's not a language issue, it's just a, it's a concept that you don't get, then ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. You know, you shouldn't have to be an English major to read the Bible, but you should have to be spiritual. There are some things that the smartest people in the world can read this and won't get. And the reason is, is because their eyes have not been opened. And so what you need to do before you open your Bible is you say, Holy Spirit, I'm trusting you. I'm asking you to be my teacher because the Scripture says that the anointing abides within you. It lives in you and is able to teach you. And so what we need to say is, Holy Spirit, you're my teacher. You bring light to the Word of God. You move on this so that I'll be changed and transformed and things will grow in me and things will come alive in me. So right now, I'm trusting you, God, to open this Word to me, enlighten it, illuminate it for me. So that when I open this up, I'll understand what I read. And you will. It'll work every time. Now let's open our Bibles tonight. So don't feel guilt about whatever translation you have. Just know that uh, whatever we have, we're going to read. And we're going to trust that God is in it. And God's going to show us what it means. We're going to open the book of 2 Corinthians. And uh, we'll spend most of our time in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tonight. I like 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, it's just picked up from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, which has taught us uh, mainly about the ministry of the apostles. It's taught us some things about, uh, about God, but it's also, it's also the Apostle Paul, for, for part of it, at least talking about how the fact that, that, that they're ministers of a new covenant, that the old covenant... There was a veil over it, but now the veil has been removed, and they're a minister of this new covenant, this gospel of Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, chapter 4 is mainly an apostle's chapter. It's talking about an apostle's ministry. But we're going to find out by the end of this chapter, I'm going to give you a spoiler ahead of time. Is that all right? Because it'll affect how you read the, the beginning of the chapter. But by the end of the chapter, you'll find out that even though he's describing an apostle's ministry, that the things that he's saying are not exclusive to apostles. You see, there's some things that are exclusive to the grace that God has given us to walk in, okay? So we're not all called to do the exact same thing. That's good. That's part of the diversity of the body. But there are some things that uh, are universal as believers. For instance, when I read Mark 16, he lays out the criteria. These signs will follow them that have believed. And there will be those that will tell you, well, the signs and the wonders in the book of Acts, those were for the apostles and the apostles alone. But then you get on Acts chapter 8, and you have to explain to me how a, a by definition, non-apostle, a deacon, whose job was to make sure that everybody got fed equally, you're going to have to explain to me how Philip did all those miracles, how God did all those miracles through him. You'll have to explain to me how all those people got born again and revival came to Samaria through that man. You have to explain to me how the scripture, how Jesus didn't say, and these signs will follow the apostles. He said, they will follow those who believe. So, there's a weak case. It's not even a case to say, well, that was just for the apostles. It died off with John because we know that the same Jesus, the Bible says Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, we know that he loves just as he loved. He, he moves just as he moved. And uh, that there is a right and a responsibility as believers to be part of that ministry. And you know, when I read the Bible, uh, 
and I'm sure when you do as well, you discover that most of the miracles didn't happen in the church. They happened through the church, but not in a building. A lot of cool miracles happen on the way to church. You know, Peter and John on their way to the gate called beautiful, all the way through the gate called beautiful, going to temple, on their way to the temple, they met a guy in the street. You know, that guy wasn't going to temple. He wasn't going to church that day. He was taking advantage of all the other people that were going to church, and he was going to get them on the way by and get some of their money. But he had no intention to be at church that morning. So who's going to reach him? Somebody's got to go to where he is, because he wasn't going to where they were. You know, Jesus, he did miracles in the temple, and he caught some flack for it. He did preach in the temple. He did do miracles there. And we believe that miracles are a part of a church service. Amen. I believe that. But they're not exclusive to a church service. And there's no other way to get around it. There are no loopholes to this. That in Ephesians 4, it says that the purpose of the gifts in the church service are to equip you for ministry outside of the church service. You can't get around that. You can't say, well, that's their job. They'll do that. I'm just here to clap for them. I'm just here to cheer them on. They'll get up and tell me all the miracles that happened during the week. And what we'll do is we'll encourage them. There's no place in the scripture that gives you the the excuse to do that. Now, the way God's grace moves in you, the way his power is displayed in your life will be different depending on what you're called to do. That's, That's obvious. But as believers, we should expect that God's love, his light, his goodness is going to shine through us wherever we go. That as the scripture says in Titus, that we will adorn the doctrine. We'll wear what we believe. The world will see it and the world will experience it. That the ministry and the testimony of Christ will be confirmed. I love that. The Apostle Paul says that in, in the, his first letter to the Corinthians. He says that God, Jesus was confirming his testimony. The testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. How is a testimony of Christ confirmed? If I told you there is a big red truck, the biggest red truck you've ever seen, (laughs) it's out in the parking lot. Biggest red truck you've ever seen is out in the parking lot. It's got big old flames on it. It's got neon lights. It's just the craziest truck you've ever seen. That's my testimony about the truck. How do we confirm that? You go and you look. If I were to tell you that I learned this trick, that I could, you know, if you have a, if you have a, a real ache in your shoulder and I, I knew some sort of pressure point where I could just press it and that ache would go away, I don't know that trick. But if I did, and I was trying to convince Chance, I know this trick. Man, you got a headache, I can make that go away. I can hit this pressure point, it'll go away. How does that testimony confirmed? I do it. I, I show them. I, I, I demonstrate it. And so when when they were preaching Jesus Christ, the healer, there was a way that that was confirmed in them. Jesus healed people. When they said Jesus is alive, it wasn't just a story they told. It was demonstrated. He's alive. Lives were transformed. People were made new. When they said that Jesus Christ is the deliverer and every name that is named is under his feet. When someone was demon possessed, what did they do? Cast that out in the name of Jesus and that demon had to leave. Do you think, this is just a side note, do you think demons are still around? Yeah. You think they packed it up when John died? Just the last apostle. Well, you know, we had a good run. We know that they were still around after Jesus went to be with the Father. Don't we know that? Because we see the apostle Paul cast them out. We know that. So we know they didn't all go away when Jesus (laughs) rose from the dead. So they were still around, and i got to believe they're still up to the same old stupid gags that they always were, but the believers have the same authority that they did then, that every name is under the name of Jesus, and we have the name of Jesus, we carry it, so don't be afraid of those things. And all of this to say this, that the ministry of Jesus is still taking place in our midst, not just in ministers, quote, ministers that stand on a stage, but in ministers that go out into the world. And so when we read chapter 3, sorry, chapter 4, we're going to read it knowing that he's talking about the ministry of apostles, but knowing that there are many things that have come out that are universal to all of us, that are not just for apostles, that are for believers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, what ministry? He says, We've got, we've got a new ministry, a minister, we're ministers of a new covenant. 
We're not ministers of condemnation. We're ministers of the new covenant. He says, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we don't lose heart. But we got a ministry, and we don't give up. And they had reasons to give up, guys. This guy went through a lot to get the gospel out. He went through a lot to get to them. And that was, that's part of the fun of being an apostle, is you tend to have to go where no one else has gone before. He says, I endeavor to preach where Jesus has not been named yet. That means you're a groundbreaker, and groundbreakers generally get some busted heads sometimes. You know, they have to break through hard ground, and they have to show up in places where they're not loved or liked. So he says, even though all that's happening, we've received mercy. We've received a ministry. And if God gave you a ministry, guys, giving you a ministry is not just giving you a to-do list. If God gave you a ministry, he has equipped you for that. He's empowered you for that. He hasn't just said, well, this is what you, you can figure out how to do this. Here's what you need to do. If God puts something in your heart and you say, I know that he called me to this. I know he's placed me in this. I guarantee he's empowered you for it. If you don't feel empowered, then go ahead and make that move when he tells you to, and you will be empowered. Peter didn't get training in walking on the water. He didn't, he didn't feel some magical tingling in his feet before he did it, I imagine. He at some point just had to jump out of the boat and walk on water. And when his feet hit the water, they didn't sink. So sometimes God's called you to something. You say, I don't feel empowered for this. When the man at Lystra began to walk, his legs didn't start working until he stood up. Until he told, his brain sent a signal to his legs, stand up, he leapt up. But he didn't all of a sudden get strength in his legs while he was sitting there. It doesn't say he got strength in his legs while he was lying down. It says when, as he stood up, strength came to his legs. We, we would love for God to give us strength and feel empowered before we had to do something. We love to walk into the mall. And the Lord says, go pray for that person. And we love to feel this electric shock go through our bodies and know that we're empowered and, and just suddenly be drawn to somebody magnetically and put our hands on them. My hands are on fire. Well, that could happen. But don't depend on that to happen. This is why it's faith. You've got to step out and trust God. So he says, we don't receive, we've received mercy and we don't lose heart. But... We have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. This is so important to anybody, especially people who say, God has called me to minister, then here's a great thing for you. Don't use craftiness at all. Whether you're getting somebody born again, you're leading somebody to Jesus, maybe somebody taught you that the best way to do that was to trick them a little bit. But if you trick them into praying a prayer, guys, there's no faith there. Spoiler alert again. They didn't get saved unless, unless faith came just, just in that moment. They finally believed. There's nothing there. You, you can just tell them the gospel is just good enough. It's so good. It's so wonderful that you don't have to trick people. They'll either believe it or they don't, but you just present it. You just present Jesus. Let him be who he is. Don't put him in a Zorro outfit and try to sell him as something else. Just say this is Jesus. This is who he is. So no craftiness. We don't need to be tricky. We don't need to be deceitful. And we don't need to adulterate the word, which means we don't need to add to it. We don't need to take away. We don't need to manipulate it. We can just leave it as it is and let God be God. So we've renounced all that other stuff. And it says, here's what we're going to do. It says, by, but by the manifestation of truth, that means the uncovering, the revealing of truth. And that truth comes from God himself. He's given us the ability to uncover that truth, to reveal it. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, because in chapter 3 he's talking about the veil that was over the people's hearts. When the law was read, they didn't fully understand it. They didn't fully see Jesus in it, but now that veil has been removed. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, it says it's veiled to those who are perishing. So don't get offended if, nobody, if not everybody gets what you're saying. If not everybody really likes you the first time you say it. Not, if not everybody says amen the first time you say something. Sometimes their eyes are still a little bit hazy. You just do what God told you to do and trust the Holy Spirit. That's a big one, isn't it? Trust the Holy Spirit. He's the one that gets people born again, not you. 
So here it says here, it's, if it's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case, the God of this world. Now the translation says the God of this age. What we're talking about is Satan himself. Do you know it's God, little g, of this world which is perishing and this is fading. And it's the, it's the God that you see in Hollywood. It's the God that you, that you hear in music a lot of times. It's the God you see out there. It's the God that's portrayed by commercialism. It's the God of this world in this present age. It's an attitude that's out there. It's a spirit that's out there. It's the prevailing understanding. And before you got born again, you were part of it. But it says the God of this world, what has he done? He has blinded the minds. What has he blinded? The minds. So you ever talk to somebody and it just seems like they're not getting what you're saying? And you're just coming in and you're saying, this makes perfect sense to me. Why doesn't this make sense to you? And sometimes you go home and you'll blame yourself and you say, I, just, I must have done something wrong. I just must have said it wrong. And so you're just putting a lot, lot of way too much credit and too much pressure on yourself. That's why we just preach the gospel. You show the love of Jesus in all of its purity and all of its power, and you trust God. But you know, sometimes you're the one that sowed the seed, and you didn't see the growth, but somebody else came along and watered that seed. And they, they saw, I mean, Jesus said, we've come and we started harvesting where other people have planted. But you know those people that planted, they did something right. That means that there were people in Samaria that were saying some good things about God but saw no results. And Jesus said, we've come here reaping where we have not sown. So there are times, guys, and I do believe that in these last days, of course, he said that there'll be a time where the harvester overtakes the sower that will see rapid growth. But there are times, guys, where you don't get an instant response. Don't go home and beat yourself up. and say, why didn't, the, I mean, I must not have explained it right. Because here's what you're trying to do. You're trying to match your brain against their brain and see who wins the context. But often, and you'll find this, how many of you have won an argument and didn't really feel like you won the person? Ever felt that? You left the room thinking, I won. I was right. And they know I was right. But you watched them walk away and they didn't say, thank God you've opened the truth to me. Or either they were beat up and despairing or they were angry and frustrated. You see, winning a mental battle does not win a soul. <laughs> it just doesn't. Winning an argument doesn't win someone to the Lord. You may be right in every sense of the word, but you're not after their brain, you're after their heart. God will work on their brain, thank God. God loves their mind. He created their mind. We're not a bunch of mindless robots who just follow around. We believe God gave us a mind, and He wants us to use it, but that mind is being renewed by the word. And so he says that the God of this world has blinded their minds. So if you're just trying to communicate something to somebody's brain and their brain is blind, that is like doing a sign language to a blind guy and saying, why didn't he get it? I must have done it wrong. Doing a mime skit for a bunch of blind people, it, it, they're not going to enjoy it. It's not their fault, and it's not your fault. It's just you're working on the wrong thing. So it says the enemies blinded their minds so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So they're not seeing the light of the gospel. They're not seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And that glory is always there. It's always been there. Do any of you think that the sun ever stops shining? No, it doesn't. We might say the sun's not out today, but it's shining. What's happening? Something's blocking it, right? It's, it doesn't ever stop shining. Whether it's nighttime, whether it's a cloudy day, the sun is always shining. It's always just as bright as it always has been. It doesn't get brighter. I mean, there might be a solar flare or something, but the sun is still the sun. What we experience are things getting in between the sun and our eyes. Whether it's a cloud or it's the, you know, the other side of the world getting in the way, something's in the way, standing between us and the light. What the enemy's done is he's brought things in that stand between the light and our eyes. 
And sin will do that. Sin, of course, is what happened in the very beginning. It, it came between us and God. We couldn't see. It blinded our eyes. There'll be plenty of other things that get between us and our ability to see God. And here's the thing. The gospel removes those things. The gospel takes those things out of the way so that you couldn't see God before. Now you can see Him. When you couldn't see the light, now you can see the light and you can be in the light. So what we need to pray. Yeah, we need to pray that we are able to flow in the love of God. We need to pray that we are able to express what God's told us to express. We also need to pray that those things that got between God and that person will be removed. Whether that's a hurt from the past, whether that's sin, whether that's scars that have just left a mark on them, whether, whether it's prejudgments that they've made a long time ago, whatever they are, that God's able to remove those things. Here's what he says. So the God of this world blinded them so they wouldn't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. What does this mean? This means that God wants everyone to see Him and His glory was displayed in Jesus Christ. His image was displayed in Jesus Christ. Anytime you communicate the gospel to anybody, and they'll bring it off on side issues and tangents and rabbit trails that have very little to do with the gospel, all you've got to do is bring it right back to Jesus. Always bring it to Jesus. He is the image of God. And if, you see, if you've got an image in your mind of God that does not jive with what we see in the Bible of Jesus, something's messed up. Something's wrong. We say, well, God is the... God is the mean one. Jesus is the nice one. No, 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 no. Jesus was the image. Of the, is the, the Bible says he's the image of the invisible God. Express image of the invisible God. He said to his disciples, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. He doesn't say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father's nice side. He doesn't say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father's kind side. He says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Now, we don't need to get in the complexity of the Trinity and how, are they three, are they one? You know, we're not going to talk about that tonight, but what we are going to talk about is that God, His image was displayed in Jesus Christ, and His glory, that glory of Christ, is the light of the gospel that shines in, and, and this is what we need to show people. You don't need to have the, the, the coolest church in the world. I mean, we all want the church to be accessible and relevant, but... It doesn't need to be the coolest place. You don't need to be the coolest person. You just need to let people see the light of Jesus. And His light is best shown through the gospel. And the gospel is all that wonderful truth that not just who Jesus was when He walked the earth, but also what He did. Also, yeah, all the good things He did, but, but primarily that not only did He come doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, but that He died on that cross, taking your punishment upon Himself, dying for the sins of the world, and it doesn't end there. But He was resurrected, ascended to the Father. He sits at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Now that's good news to anybody. And in that good news, the light of the glory of Christ shines. This is what it says. It says, for we... Do not preach ourselves. <laughs> Huge key. Don't preach yourself. You're not the point. Well, you may be <laughs> like me. When you get somebody up, I mean, thank God for ministers all over the place. But you've been in a, have you ever been in a service or listening to a CD where the guy just kept on going on and on about himself and you get a little weary of it after a while? God have mercy on them. I'm not their judge. You know, maybe they're trying to communicate something. didn't come out right. Not my business, but you know what I love? And sometimes telling personal stories show this. Sometimes people get up and tell personal stories, but those personal stories are talking about what God did. And that's wonderful because they're making God the point. God is the center of this. And he says, we don't preach ourselves because that's the worst sermon you'd ever preach. But we preach what? Christ. We don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as what? As Lord. 
We don't just preach Christ Jesus as philosopher. We don't just preach Christ Jesus as a good man. We don't just preach Christ Jesus as a good subject of history. We preach Christ Jesus as Lord, resurrected Savior, sitting at the right hand of God. That's what we preach. And ourselves, here's if we're going to say anything about ourselves, here's what we're going to say. That ourselves as bondservants, in the literal Greek, dolos, slave, even though we know God doesn't treat you as a slave, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're a friend, and yet we submit ourselves to Him as a slave to a master and say, your will be done, not mine but yours. And so we preach ourselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. Sorry, it says your bondservants. So the apostle, this is the ministry of an apostle here. Here's what he's describing. Here's what an apostle does. Now, There's an image in our current world that the apostles are the one that you, you just, you know, take out to dinner and, and drive the Rolls Royce up for. And eh, you know what? All of that's fine. I don't have a problem. It's not my thing. But the real issue of an apostle is someone who's laid their life down. It says he laid his life down for these people to get the gospel to them. And he says, I've made myself a slave to you. Not for you, but for Jesus. For his sake, I've made myself a slave to you people so that you get the gospel. He says, for God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness. What happened when he said that? Light came, right? In the darkness, not just the, you know, I mean, sometimes we don't realize how dark it was because you've never experienced the darkness that's described in Genesis chapter 1. You've, you've experienced times where the light was blocked. You've experienced times where the light was less. But in Genesis chapter 1, we see a complete absence of light. Not only that, but we see utter darkness and a complete void. A void meaning that there's nothing there, there's no order. And what God did is He brought order into that. He brought light into that. Where there was no light, he didn't just pull something out of the way and say, oh, the light was there, now it can shine through. There wasn't any light. And when he said, light shall shine out of darkness, light came. And I love that. He doesn't just say light shone into darkness. He said it came out of darkness. That's another subject for another time. But that's awesome. He says the light shall shine out of darkness. He's the same one who has shone in where? Our hearts. Thank God He wants to use you as part of this process. You know, God sometimes appears to people in their bedrooms. I've heard stories of God showing up in people's dreams. Thank God. But God's primary way to get the gospel to people, to, to, to really reach people, is using His body. And it says light will sh the same light, the same God who said light shine out of darkness is the one who has shone into our hearts into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We're going to need to spend some time on that. Did you hear what he said? The way that God's going to get his light to people who've been blinded. Because he says people's eyes, they're blinded, but he doesn't just leave it at that and say, it's too bad. I guess Macedonia's lost. I guess Asia Minor is going to hell. No, he says, there's darkness, there's blindness, but the same God who took utter darkness and brought light is the same God who shone the light into our hearts. Now, thank God, you know, we come to, the, we come to God, we come to church, we open our Bibles, and light comes to us, right? You know the difference between a terminal and a channel? Terminal is where something ends. That's the end of the journey. But a channel is what is used when, I mean, a channel, something's going through it. It's part of the process. And God's using you as a channel, not a terminal. So all the things you receive from God and you lift up your hands, you say, oh, my goodness, wasn't that Sunday morning wonderful? Or wasn't my devotional time wonderful? Or that conversation at Starbucks, wasn't that wonderful? And you go home and say, I just feel blessed. It's not supposed to end there. God gave me revelation. Finally, I got revelation. Well, there's a reason for that. And it's not supposed to end with you. And the love of God is not just supposed to end with you. And the things that He's given you, the money He puts in your hands, that's supposed to just end with you. 
You're a channel. You are a, a way of him getting that and spreading that. And here's what he says. That light shone into our hearts to do what? To give the light. The light that people are going to see in this verse did not always come directly from God to them. In this verse, and in this instance, what he's talking about is here's how God's using us. He says he shines light, shines light into our hearts to shine light into their hearts. To give light, to shine light. God's using you as a way to show his light. And that light, what is that light? It says to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Now, where do we get the knowledge of the glory of God? What is the glory of God? How do I see the glory of God? Here it says, in the face of Christ. So here's the deal, guys. Let's break that down very simply. People need to see light. They need to experience light. They need to have light shine in. And that light is found in the face of Christ. That light is the glory of God. But that light is found in the face of Christ. So the best way that you can ever show somebody that light is to show them Jesus. To just show them the face of Christ. Is to be somebody that God uses to demonstrate Christ to the world. In word and in deed. In spirit and in truth. To give that light to the world. Don't you know you're a part of that process? There are times when God knocks a guy down on the road to Damascus and shines light in him, and, and the light is so bright it blinds him and sends him on his merry way. But what happened before that happened? Do you know that that wasn't God, Stephen's first, or sorry, Paul's first encounter with Jesus Christ? Or at the time, Saul of Tarsus. That wasn't his first encounter. His first encounter was when Stephen stood up and proclaimed the gospel. Stephen, another one who wasn't an apostle, but was a preacher. He was a deacon who did more than just his job description said. And he preached the word. And the Bible says that he preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. And it cut to every, everyone who was there. It cut to the quick. And it made them all mad because their hearts were hard. And it says Saul was in hearty agreement when this man was killed. But later Saul is, has an encounter with Jesus Christ. And Jesus says all this time, it's been hard for you to kick against the goads. Because when Stephen preached... The Holy Spirit started poking. You know sometimes you're that sermon that, that's preached and people seem to get mad at you. But maybe you're the precursor to the road to Damascus. Maybe you're the one. You go, I don't want to be that guy. That guy got hit with rocks. I want to be the guy after that gets to pray for him that his eyes are healed. That, can I be that guy? Can I be Ananias instead of Stephen? Can I tell you most of the time you don't get to pick which one you are? You just show up and do what God tells you to do. And you know what? To live as Christ, to die as gain, I believe no matter what happens, you're going to be blessed because you let God work through you. Thank God there's more to this life than what we can see and touch. And here he says this. We're about to experience that. He's about to tell us exactly that thing because he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, which doesn't make sense, does it? that you'd put such a valuable treasure in such a common pot. An earthen vessel was a very common clay pot that you could get anywhere, real cheap. Can you imagine putting all your valuables in this cheap little pot? This is what God did. It says, we have. It doesn't say someday we're going to get the sweet by and by, we'll get this. It says, we have this treasure the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of the glory of God, the treasure of His power and His presence and His Spirit. We have that in plain old earthen clay pots so that the surpassing, do you know what surpassing means? It means more than you're ever going to need. The surpassing greatness of the power. Now that power's in those clay pots. But it will be of God, not from ourselves. So that surpassing power, you may read this and go, okay, well, I'm not going to experience that. That's from God, not from me. No, 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 no. He's saying the surpassing power is in you, but it's not from you. It's not of you. It's from God. And it's going to be obvious to the world. 
You see, when you just walk in your own flesh and your own ability and you, you be the best person you can be, that's exactly what you look like to the world, just the best person you could be. You, you read all the self-help books and you improve your life enough that you're the best version of yourself, you're still just the best version of yourself. That's not enough. God's not asking you to be your best version of you. He's asking you to let him shine through you. He wants to be the best version of him through you. Way better than anything Oprah could have done for you. Dr. Phil can't do it. Praise God, yeah. Way better. God's got something way better for you. He's not looking for you to shine this version of you. He's looking for you to shine the version of him. Not just a version of him. The reality of him. And so thank God he says that this is shining through us. And God put this this in us. But so that people would know that this isn't from us, it's from God. And it says, here's the fun part. You know, we're, we're, we're loving it so far. Ready? Get ready to amen. We are afflicted in every way. Oh, praise God. Yes. Wait a second, what did you say? <laughs> you know, the Apostle Paul said that even though we've gone around Many times thinking we were going to die. He said more than once, he said, but I know God delivered me and he will yet deliver me. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, many are the afflictions of the righteous. That seems to be what he's saying here too. But he says, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. So he says, we're afflicted in every way. Oh man. He says, but we're not crushed. See, there's a but there. We may be afflicted, but we're not crushed, which means that this is temporary. And in all this, you must know, whatever God does in your spirit is eternal. Whatever happens to this old body is temporary. So if you got to take some punches, you got to take some abuse to get the gospel to somebody, that's temporary. That's just no big deal. But the gospel is eternal. The word of God is eternal. So sometimes it's worth it to take a couple hits like Paul had to do in order to get the gospel out. Thank God I don't believe you're going to have to take hits all the time. And the hits you're taking are not from God. Every hit and every affliction he speaks of here came from people resisting the word. Came from persecution. Came from men. God is not fighting against his own people. The enemy is. There are times where you have to say, no matter what they throw at me, I'm preaching. And they can't destroy the gospel. There's one beautiful verse. The Apostle Paul says near the end of his life, he says to Timothy, he says, though I'm in chains, the gospel is not bound. I may be in chains, but you can't put the gospel in chains. Isn't that awesome? I mean, they're they're in Philippi, in a prison, and there's just... Silly enough to start singing and praising God. And those shackles fall off and earthquake comes. But you know what? Here's the deal. They got publicly beaten before that happened. And they're still praising God. Because this is temporary. Thank God. It says this. It says, we might be perplexed but not despairing. Never despairing. That's why I don't often like to say I'm desperate, even though some people use it in such a good way. And I believe the heart's right when they say we're desperate for you. Desperate means despairing. (laughs) I'm desperate. And I'm not despairing. I may be perplexed, but I'm not despairing. Despairing means you've lost all hope. And I've not reached that place since I've been born again. There's always hope. It says this, It says, we might be persecuted. We're not forsaken. It means when they're persecuting you, Jesus is standing right next to you as he did with Paul. Paul said, everybody forsook me. My last defense, I stood alone. My first defense, I stood alone. No one stood with me. Everybody forsook me, ran away. Nevertheless, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me and rescued me out of the mouth of the lion. Praise God. That's the God we serve. If you're being persecuted, you're not being persecuted alone. He stands with you, he'll strengthen you, and he'll rescue you. Here he says this. 
We are struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. What does that mean? Because as far as I can tell, he's not physically dying every day, right? The Bible says it's appointed a man once to die and then the judgment. He, we, we do know that Paul was stoned pretty much to death. Now, whether he was physically dead and the Lord resurrected him or whether he was so close that they thought he was dead, that's close enough for me, either way. <laughs> either way, there was a miracle in his body. But the real deal is that he's not actually getting his head chopped off every day. He's not some sort of weird immortal. He's just a man. But what does he mean by always caring about the dying of Jesus? This guy's having to get beat up. He's having to get thrown in prison. What he's having to do is he's having to choose what's more important. My flesh, my body, or the spirit, the things of the spirit. Who am I? I mean, he's having to die to himself every day and say, I'm not here for me. I could go get a, I could go, the Apostle Paul could quit preaching the gospel, retire, go somewhere nice and spend the rest of his days picking tomatoes somewhere. Well, not tomatoes, I'm sorry. Tomatoes didn't come to Europe till Christopher Columbus. Fun fact. Whatever he's picking. <laughs> yeah, figs, right. <laughs> he could have done that. But instead, he put himself through all of this. Why? For the same reason that Jesus did what he did, for the joy set before him, he endured what he had to endure. And so the Apostle Paul said, we've been, we've been, we've been like putting to death our own body. We've been, we've been saying, we're not important. What's more important is that God's will is done here. I'm not putting my needs first. In fact, I've put to death my flesh. I've put to death my own will. I've been crucified with Christ. Every day I say, I'm not my own. Here's, the, here's what you need to draw out of that. He says, I'm not my own person anymore. I died with Jesus Christ. The life I live, I live through Him. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. So what he's having to say is, I don't get to pick what I get to do. I'm just doing what he tells me to do. And I'm always caring about the dying. I'm putting to death. So I'm just every day saying, I'm dying to myself. So that the life, see it doesn't just end there. So that the life of Jesus may be manifested, shown in my body. He doesn't just say, I, I die in my body so that the life of God may be manifested in my soul. No, he says the life may be manifested in my body. Now here, let's read the rest. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. And that was really literally true. They're trying to kill these guys all the time because they're preaching the gospel. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. That means right here, right in this earth, in this physical body, the life of Jesus is going to be manifested. They're trying to kill us all the time. But we know that there is an eternal truth that's bigger than what they're trying to do. He says this, so death works in us, but life in you. Now, what does that mean? He means as apostles, we've had to go through all of this so that the gospel would be preached to you and you'd have life in yourselves. And he's about to say this. Remember, he said, we become, bond, we become slaves to you for Jesus' sake. He says, we deal with this. We deal with all this death, all this beating, all for you. He says, death works in us. We had to put up with this. They're trying to kill us all the time, but it's worth it because now the life came to you. He says, but have, listen to this. It's going to get good again. <laughs> but having the same spirit of faith according to what is written. So he means when you read this scripture, that's the same spirit of faith we have. I believed, therefore I spoke. Do you know? It doesn't matter if you're shy. doesn't matter if you're an introvert. I, I know that, you know, it's okay to be uh, quiet. You don't always have to be the loud person in the room. But here's the deal. He says we have that spirit of faith. And the spirit of faith that's in the word is the same spirit of faith that's in us. And here's what it says. I believed. Therefore, I what? I spoke. Can't get around that. You may think, but I just, I'm a, I quietly believe it. It's my own personal private faith. Who are we on that? This is for real. If you believe it, 
The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. God wants to shine light through you. When he says the light shone into our hearts so that we would shine that light out, do you think that happens just by staying home all the time? You got to say something, you got to do something, right? You got to let that light shine out. That light was given to us by, we heard something. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now let's, let's read the rest of this before it gets too late. It says, we also believe, therefore, if you believe, and this is just a natural spiritual equation, if you believe, therefore, we spoke. People tend to say what they believe. If you really believe what you think you believe, you'll find a place to say it. Knowing that he raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus, and will present us with you. So in all these things, our body might be taking a beating, but that body's not going to be around for much longer. We know that Jesus Christ will raise this body and will present it before God himself. And we'll have something to say and something to even get a reward for. He says this, For all things are for your sakes. Now this is the part of an apostle. He says, Everything we do has been for you. All things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Isn't that wonderful? Now let's, let me just read you the literal of that. When he says the grace which is spreading, you may find it in, some of you have a, a center column reference or something that tells you the literal Hebrew. And what does it say there? Does anybody have that in their margin? So the grace which is being multiplied through the many. You see, the way when he says this grace is being spread, it doesn't mean we're just going more places. Because if, even if the apostle Paul lived for 150 years, there's more places God wants, wants this gospel to go than he can reach. It says the grace which is being multiplied through the many. Not just to the many. But through the many, the way the gospel is multiplied is when it stops being one person talking to many people and, it, and the gospel comes, it may come through one person, but then it goes out through the many to the many. That's multiplication. The rest is just addition. But God is not just working in addition, He's working in multiplication. So here we see that He may have started, He may be describing the work of an apostle, but that gospel is being spread through the many through all the people we're preaching to, it's being spread and the grace of God is being spread through the many and the, the end result of that is wonderful because it says the end of the result of that is that it's being spread through the many to more and more people and it may cause the giving of thanks to abound. Can you imagine when God moves through us like He wants to move through us, like He is moving through us, that it's going so much. I mean, he's, His power, His love, His grace being demonstrated amongst us, not just to us, but through us, that the giving of thanks is abounding. Can you imagine what that looks like? You don't have time for everybody to tell the testimony they have. You can't walk too many steps before you hear somebody talking about, this is what the Lord has done in me. The giving of thanks is abounding, and abounding means it's overflowing. It's way more than you can handle. And that giving of thanks is to the glory of God. Because everybody that hears your giving of thanks, now maybe that's all you've got today. Maybe you don't have a sermon to preach to somebody. But maybe you can give thanks for what God has done. And that will glorify God. Maybe you can tell them how, how, at least your understanding of the gospel. Because guys, if you got saved, you had to understand some of the gospel. You had to have faith in the gospel. If you got born again, you've got enough to get someone else born again. <laughs> you may not have the answer to every question they have. Sometimes you've got to hand off. Sometimes you've got to say, I don't know. But if you knew enough to get saved, you know enough to tell somebody else. And he says that this giving of thanks will abound. The end result is going to be God 
Christ is going to be glorified. God will be glorified, and he says, because of all this. Remember at the beginning he said, we don't lose heart? And he just told you why. Because of all this, we, we don't lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction, it's momentary. Because it's momentary, it's temporary, it's light. It's not worth all your time. It's not worth all your stress. It's light. Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight. Do you see the difference? Momentary, eternal. Light, weighty. Do you see the difference? One is temporary and it's just light. One is eternal and it's heavy. You may be saying, I, oh man, I've been, oh, we live in Canada, let's face it. Probably nobody ever threw rocks at you for your preaching the gospel. But maybe you had to deal with some intolerant people at work. Maybe you had to deal with some hard-headed people, hard-hearted people who mistreated you. But you know, all of that is so light compared to the eternal weight of glory. And you need to view it as that. Because when you go home, and you let that sit on you all night. Because I've done this too, guys. I'm, I'm not speaking just from theory. I'm speaking from experience. When you go home and somebody's been real harsh when you've preached the word. And they've come down on you. And you go home and you beat yourself up all night. What you could have been done different or, or how much that hurt. And you come up and you do arguments in your head. Have you ever done that? Like if you were the boldest person in the world, what you would have said if you were the quickest thinker, what you would have said, and you end up having an argument all night with a wall. This is what I'd say if you were here. You're giving it too much weight. Jesus would not have been able to function if he spent all his time worrying about who left and worrying about who wasn't listening. You just let God handle that. Who didn't like him? You know what? You've been loved by the creator of the universe. You've been embraced by the God of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the, the Alpha, the Omega. He loves you. Who cares who else does? He were loved by the greatest source of love. Love himself loves you. So don't go home and give it more weight than it's worth. Move on. And here, if you're going to think about something, here's the weighty thing to think about. The eternal weight of glory. If you're going to meditate on something at night, meditate on the glory of God, which is eternal. Instead of all this, instead of all this temporary uh, hardship, instead of this temporary you know, persecution you're taking from somebody, thank God, God will deliver you out of that. The Bible says for every trial, for every temptation, He provides a way of escape. He's not going to leave you in that hole. He's not going to leave you in that pit. But guys, I mean, whatever you're dealing with is so temporary and so light, it's not worth your time. It's not worth your energy. It's not worth your thoughts. You think about this glory. And it'll come out because if you let that marinate on you, what's going to come out the next time you talk to somebody is either bitterness or fear. But if you just let, your, just let it fall off you like something light that doesn't even matter, You'll preach the gospel with the same power you did yesterday, the same love you did the week before, the same faith you always did, and you'll look people in the eye like you've never been hurt before, and you'll just say, God loves you. And Jesus Christ is the perfect demonstration of that love. And let me show you who he is. The light, of, the light that God wants to shine, there are blind people all over the world. Their minds are blinded. They're all over the world, guys. The cure for their blindness is not in heaven somewhere. The cure for their blindness is God shining in your heart so that you can shine that light to them. It says for the things, it says this weight of glory is far beyond all comparison. It's not, that means it's not worth comparing with this stuff. It's not worth being mentioned in the same sentence. While we look not... We don't look at the things which are seen. That sounds weird, doesn't it? I don't look at the things I can see. Oh, man. 
This sounds like my hippie days, bro. I don't don't know. What do you mean I can't look at what I see? This means I don't look at these temporary things that I can see. That's not what I focus on. It's not what I spend my time thinking about. It's not what I consider. But at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Friends, you're eternal beings, you're spiritual beings. Everything that God wants to do in your life starts first in the unseen realm, starts in areas you can't even see. That's your valuable place. That's your place where you dwell. That's your place where you trust is in the unseen. Now you may see Jesus someday face to face in a vision. He may show up in front of you and say something to you, but most of your life is going to be trusting in the unseen God. And in fact, the more and more you let God open your spiritual eyes, you don't even think of him as unseen anymore because Jesus is not invisible completely. He may be be invisible to your physical eyes, but he's seen all around us, in us and through us, and the world will see Jesus through his body. The world will see the light through you. You let God shine that light into your heart, then get ready. Shine it out. It's the cure for blindness. Amen? Would you stand up? Praise the Lord. There is nobody hopeless. There's nobody, I mean, as blind, as stone cold, blind and hardened as they seem, there is nobody beyond the light of God. There's nobody beyond His grace. There's nobody beyond His love. What you must do is refuse to lose heart. Can we do that? I refuse to lose heart. That means I don't give up, I don't quit, I don't get discouraged. My heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord, as it says in the book of Psalms. I fear the Lord, so I fear no man. The Bible says in the book of Galatians, if we were trying to please men, we would not be bondservants of Christ. You can't do both. But I want to tell you that those people that you've been trying to tell about Jesus for so long, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't you go home and think, I just must be doing something wrong. You can go and examine. Examine and say, did I say what God told me to say? Did I preach the word or did I try to add my own spin on it? But if you can honestly say, I just said what the Lord told me to say. I just told them about Jesus. I kept it simple. I told them about the gospel. Then you don't go home and beat yourself up. You trust the Holy Spirit to open blind eyes to remove things that block the light and say the same God that caused light to come out of darkness will shine the light of God into my heart and through me to them. Thank you, Lord. We celebrate you tonight. We are good cheer for you have overcome the world. There is nothing that's beyond your reach. There's nothing beyond your power. God, we put our complete trust in you. Lord, we, we, enable, we just ready ourselves for ministry. We ready ourselves to be used by you. Father, we're, just, um, we're done with sitting on the sidelines. And right now, I ask you, Lord, to empower your sons and daughters that are here tonight, that may be listening to the podcast or on a CD, that maybe you're not even going to hear these words, but, Lord, that you would empower them to go out and expect that your light will not just shine to them, or around them, but through them. That we are the answer. You're the answer to the blindness of the world, but we're part of the solution. We're a channel of the solution. We're the channel of the blessing of God. We're a channel of the love of God. We're the channel of the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Christ. So Lord, shine your face on us and through us. In everything, we pray that you'd be glorified. We're not going to preach ourselves, but you. We'll preach Christ as Lord. And as the world sees that, we believe that our city will be changed. Lord, we ask for Lloyd Minster. God, we refuse to believe that Lloyd Minster is a lost cause. We refuse to believe that Lloyd Minster is a dark place. No, we know that this is a place where you planted us, and if you planted us here, there is a reason it is going to prosper. Not, not, I'm not talking about worldly prospering. I'm talking about the light of the gospel of Christ will prosper here. 
And I praise you and thank you for the other believers that aren't part of this particular gathering. The other churches in Lloydminster that preach the gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would enable them to speak with boldness. That all of the believers would be drawn together in unity. That there would be an end to strife and division and bitterness. But, Lord, we would stand as sons and daughters of the King, as one family with one heart, one mind, one soul. And we would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. In Jesus' name.